0: Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 151, Charles Byram. Deer hunting from California to Iowa and from spot and stock
1: to ground blinds. Today's show is sponsored by Morris's Sporting Goods.
0: Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. I'm Fred Eichler, and you're listening to my favorite podcast on iTunes Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast.
2: I'm Prissy Titus. I'm co host of RNES's female Television Show and NRA I Am Forever. Gear up for another amazing episode with Jay and Dusty on the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. This is Nick Percy from Killer Food Plots. and you're listening to my favorite deer hunting podcast, Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. You know, I'm really psyched that you're joining me. And by the way, my name is Jay can't thank you enough for pushing the play button on your apple device your android your phone whatever you're listening to the show on there's nothing that pleases me more than having your ear for one hour to listen to another dynamic deer hunting story also joining us at this very moment i know this is hard to believe dusty phillips is here in the house with the big buck registry deer hunting podcast studio
1: what's happening dusty oh man just uh chilling like a villain jay getting ready for another great episode of the Big Buck Race of Deer Hunt podcast. And, and, you know, we definitely thank everybody for tuning in week after week. You know, if it wasn't, with that, if it wasn't for the listeners and all the downloads and the Facebook followers, and, you know, we, we would just be babbling on to ourselves, Jay. But uh, we've got a great following, and we really appreciate that. Yeah, I don't,
0: I don't like babbling on to myself much, have to be honest. I'm just glad that somebody cares enough to listen.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you know, take the time to to download the app. And uh, if you don't have the app, bigbuckresorty dot com forward slash app. Get the app and mm-hmm. uh, get it on your phone. And uh, you you got us right there at your fingertip. Anytime you want to tune in with us, every show is right there on the app, right at your fingertips.
0: Just push the play button. Yeah, and, there, and there's an app for the iPhone and there's an app for the Android device, and both will do exactly the same thing. So go check it out.
1: Yeah, definitely get the app. Mm-hmm.
0: And never miss a show. If you're on an Apple, you can get the... If you go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash app, you'll be able to download it right through your Apple device. Just like that. You know, we we always say thank you to our listeners. And we deeply and always deeply appreciate somebody tuning in. And one of the things that we like to do now and then is to reach out to one of our listeners, especially the the real loyal ones. We've had some some on the past, but... This is our our latest edition of our tribute to our listeners, our listener base. So we went out and we asked Charles Byram to join us on the show. And you never really know what kind of story you're going to get, but Charles has a great and very interesting story about how he used to deer hunt in California. And because of of a surgery that went bad, basically, he had to change his hunting style. And by doing so, he knew he couldn't really hunt the way he wanted to hunt effectively where he was living in California. So what does he do? He moves to Iowa like any diehard deer hunting fan would do, right? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Go out to the land of the giants. Yeah. So now he's hunting ground blinds, mostly some, some tree stand stuff, but he moves to Iowa, shoots the biggest deer of his life. And I, I believe that during this recording, he actually drove out to the spot where he shot the deer that is featured in our artwork for this show and recorded it from there. Crazy. Yeah, no doubt. Yep. So, Charles Byram is coming right up, but before we get there, let's turn to Jim Keller with the Deer
3: News. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. In our first story this week, thousands more trail cameras coming to Wisconsin. This article is reported by the News and Observer. Wisconsin scientists have launched an ambitious new plan to catalog wild animals using thousands of trail cameras, a project that could help answer just how many deer and other creatures roam the state. University of Wisconsin-Madison and Department of Natural Resources researchers hope to place as many as 6,000 motion-activated trail cameras across the state. Photos will be uploaded to a crowdsourcing website. Viewers will be asked to view them and try to identify the animals in them. The project, dubbed Snapshot Wisconsin, should provide the best idea yet of the size of animal populations and their movements, said Phil Townsend, a UW-Madison forestry professor and one of the project leaders. Hunters have disputed the DNR's deer population estimates and management goals for years arguing the agency has overestimated the herd size and thus damaged its credibility. James Kroll, a Texas deer researcher hired by Governor Scott Walker to study the DNR's deer management strategies, recommended in a 2012 report that the agency create a monitoring program that gives landowners and hunters a sense of ownership. The cameras will snap photos as animals wander by around the clock. Pictures will be uploaded to the crowdsourcing Zooniverse website, where people from around the world will help researchers with their projects. The site's visitors can view the photos and identify what they think the animal is with the help of a detailed field guide. Townsend's graduate students and DNR experts will review photos that don't get a consensus. 6,000 trail cameras is like 6,000 observers being out in the woods looking at wildlife all the time, and that's something we haven't had, said the DNR's Jennifer Stringlin. The DNR has budgeted about $300,000 in Pittman-Robertson dollars, which is money from federal taxes on firearms and ammunition, to purchase around 3,000 cameras over the next five years. We are happy to see the DNR include the public in some of their plans, as this can help with strained relationships. Jeff Shinkton, president of the Sturgeon Bay-based Whitetails Unlimited, said in an email, "We are cautiously optimistic that the project will provide worthwhile results." <laughs> State of Michigan Expands Management Area for Wasting Disease and Deer. This article is reported by the Lansing State Journal. The Michigan Department of Natural Resources has approved a Department of Natural Resources plan to expand the core CWD area from 9 townships and 3 counties to 17 townships and 4 counties. The broader CWD management zone, which includes fewer restrictions in the core area, now includes Eaton and Ionia counties along with Clinton and Ingham and Shiawassee counties. The upshot? Successful hunters in the eight new townships will be required to take their deer to a DNR check station to be tested for the fatal neurological disease, and baiting likely will be outlawed in all five counties. Seven deer in Ingham and Clinton counties have tested positive for CWD since the first case was detected in Meridian Township in early 2015. The two most recent cases involved deer killed in Waterton Township and Meridian Township. Both of these cases were confirmed in March. As of May 13th, more than 5,200 deer have been tested for CWD, the DNR said. About half of those animals were taken by hunters. The rest were shot by state-sanctioned sharpshooters or killed in collision with vehicles, the agency said. DNR officials have scheduled two new town hall meetings to discuss the management changes and the DNR's response to the outbreak. The meetings will be June 1st at the Foster Community Center in Lansing and June 7th at the Armory Community Center in Ionia. Both sessions will run from 6 to 8 p.m. They've also set up informal morning discussions at restaurants in DeWitt, Hazlitt, and Grand Ledge over the first three days of June. During last year's hunting season, testing was mandatory for all deer taken in the Nine Township core area. Baiting was banned in Ingham, Clinton, and Shiawassee counties. The DNR has also greatly increased the number of antlerless permits and cut permit fees by 40% in order to test more deer and reduce the size of local herd. For more information on this story, please check the Lansing State Journal website. New York undercover investigation yields bust for selling venison. This article is originally reported by DeerAndDeerHunting.com. A two-year investigation by New York State Department of Environmental Conservation Officers uncovered an illegal venison sales operation in the town of Edmiston in Otsego County. Members of DEC's Bureau of Environmental Crimes Investigation Unit executed a search warrant recently at a butcher shop called Farmer's Place and found more than 3,600 pounds of illegal venison meat and products. The owner, Joseph Leonard, 73, known as The Deer Man, was arrested and charged with felony illegal commercialization of wildlife, felony grand larceny, criminal solicitation fourth degree, and felony illegal scheme to defraud first degree, after he allegedly sold illegal venison products to undercover investigators. The manager of the company, Tamara Hoag, 57, was also arrested and charged with illegal commercialization of wildlife and illegal scheme to defraud first degree. Both Leonard and Hoag were arraigned in the town of Edmiston, criminal court, and are due back in court on June 6. Indiana's Governor Pence approves two pro-hunting measures. This article comes from the NRA's Institute for Legislative Action website. The NRA-backed Right to Hunt and Fish Constitutional Amendment, sponsored by State Senator Brent Steele and State Representative Sean Eberhardt, will appear as Question 1 on the November 2016 ballot in Indiana. This week, Governor Mike Pence signed Senate Bill 57, approving the ballot language. Furthermore, Governor Pence has also signed House Bill 1231 into law, which will expand deer hunting opportunities across Indiana. HB 1231 will take effect immediately. Question 1 proposes an amendment to the Indiana Constitution that establishes the individual right to hunt, fish, and harvest wildlife in the Hoosier State. The right to hunt and fish ensures that wildlife conservation and management decisions continue to be based on sound data and to protect it against future attacks from well funded anti hunting organizations. In addition, HB 1231 passed the Indiana House of Representatives by a resounding 91 0 vote and the Senate by a 26 24 vote. HB 1231 greatly expands deer hunting opportunities in Indiana by directing the De- Indiana Department of Natural Resources to establish a rifle season for deer hunting between June 30, 2016 and June thirtieth, 2020. Under this new law, the DNR may authorize four annual rifle seasons for deer hunting in order to assess the impact of these additional hunting seasons. The addition of a rifle season will make hunting more accessible and enhance hunter retention and recruitment efforts in the state. For more information on this legislation, check out the www.nraila.org website. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. If you have any ideas for future topics or have questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News.
1: Thanks to Jim Keller for the Deer News. Without further ado, here's Charles Byram.
0: Charles Byram, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. How are
2: you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you guys doing?
0: Living the dream, man. It's just this every day. You live in the dream. Uh, we're psyched that you're joining us, Charles. I've recognized you as one of our uh, steady, loyal, dedicated followers of the Big Buck Registry and a listener of the podcast. And, you, you know, you leave us reviews. And one of the things you do the most of everybody that listens to the show is that you'll actually give us a review on each show on our on Facebook, which is incredibly helpful to us because we don't get a lot of feedback, so we can't make it better. But you're honest, and I I, I want to say thank you. I've been meaning to say this for a little, quite a while. Thank you for doing that each and every time.
2: Well, I, not a problem, and uh, I actually want to thank you guys. You guys have really helped me uh, come along learning about white-tailed deer hunting. Um, I moved to Iowa a few years ago, and I didn't know nothing at all about white tail hunting. I, I had deer hunting in California, but a totally different game out here and you guys have really helped me uh I think become more of a conservationist, you know. Um I take my time, look try to take older deer and I I, I didn't know nothing about that until I started following you guys.
0: That's music to my ears, man. I just love that we've changed, you know, some of the habits and, and made you a better hunter overall. And but you and I have to say, I mean, we talked a little bit pre-show, but you have a, a pretty interesting story going from two completely different styles of hunting in two completely different states and two completely yeah. different philosophies on what what to shoot and what not to shoot. And I'd like to explore your life relative to hunting on this show because I think it's interesting. It's qu- it's quite a contrast. It's a it's a dichotomy that. Not a lot of people have experienced. And what I'm referring to, because you have shared some of the story with me, is that you're from California. You hunted yep. a, some kind of a subspecies of mule deer, a smaller type animal, through the mountains and hills of California. And then after a surgery that went bad and put you into a disabled state, you transported yourself to Iowa to hunt Iowa whitetails, completely foreign to you all together on how to do this. And
2: that yeah, to was, me is fascinating. It was quite a quite a culture shock, especially for the family, that's for sure.
0: It's got to be California to Iowa. They're just I can't think of two completely opposite states, really.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's totally different. Uh, the town we live in now has um, I think the total amount of people is about 400 is the population and the street that I lived in lived on in San Diego Probably had more people living on it than the town I live in now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's crazy. All right, so yeah. you, we think of San Diego. Were you were you born and raised in California in, in the San Diego area?
2: Yes, um, actually, was born in Oceanside, which is right next to Camp Pendleton. Yep, and um, I was um, born there. Second generation. My dad was born there. Um, my daughter was born there. All three of us were born in the same hospital. All three of us went back to the same house where um, after being born, so um, spent my whole life there until a few years ago.
0: Very interesting. And hunting, obviously, you did a, a, quite a bit of hunting in California. And, as, and I got to be honest, as a as a deer hunter, I never think of California as a deer hunting state. I know they're out there. I've visited before. I've seen them, but I don't really relate that to deer hunting somehow. Any any comment on that?
2: California, it should be one of the best states to hunt in, but you know, the politics and everything um, make it tough. But there is deer there. It's just, um, it's very crowded, so you're competing with a lot of people to hunt on public land. And um, other than that, it's kind of, you kind of do your Western style hunting, your spot and stock, more or less, for the most part. At least everyone I know does. Um, I'm sure there's people that have little private properties that might approach it different. But I think for the most part, um, you know, everyone tried to get out there and um, do the spot and stock, especially in Southern California, in the area that I'm at, was at.
0: Okay. So the consensus in California is that, or especially in the area where you were, that in order to hunt these subspecies of muleys, public land hunting was really the only way to go
2: yeah yeah for the most part i mean there is uh you know like i said there is a lot of private land out there and there is people that do hunt private property but most for the most part um a lot of people that own the private property they they are not letting anyone hunt on there you you are not going to walk up to a someone's house out there and Ask for permission and get it. <laughs> why is it that? Like,
0: what is it? Why? What is it about the culture that 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 exists?
2: I think a lot of it just has to do with the, um, the way the media and the perception out there is hunting's bad, and um, people don't want hunting on their property hmm. for the most part. Now, I've never ran into anyone trying to interfere, you know, with the hunt or anything like that. Yep, I've never had anyone. Um, talk bad to me about being a hunter,
0: but, um. it's an undertone. It's like, you know, yeah. it's, it's like the East coast versus West coast thing. If you're on the East coast and somebody doesn't like something about what you're doing, they'll, they'll come right up to your face and tell you West coast, they'll be looking over your shoulder for the next best opportunity, but will never actually tell you what they think is wrong with you. It's exactly. Just, right. It's just the the, yep. the, the way they think it's the culture. Yeah. Generally speaking.
2: Exactly. Yep. So if you've got any Yeah, anti- I guess it's a laid back just want to avoid uh confrontation. confrontation. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you go to New York or Philly or Boston, it's all about confrontation. You go out to California, it's about avoiding confrontation. So you never really get the true story about what exactly you're having the conversation about or what they think about it. So if you're faced in with somebody that is like on the fence or somebody that is perhaps um an anti you might be at a cocktail party having a conversation, and, and but they won't tell you that they hate hunting, right?
2: Exactly. <laughs> yep, you Okay. <can laughs> I, <laughs> I just can't
0: just, imagine living truth. like that. I'm so used to like in-your-face stuff that you know, I, I can't yeah. can't imagine that. But so so your challenge as a as a public hunter in California in the San Diego area, where do you, where do you hunt in San Diego? I mean, how do you? I think of that as a city, 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 city where do you have to go? If you're living on the street in San Diego, where do you have to go to in order to start hunting these, these muleys?
2: Basically, um, you have to head east <laughs> and uh, get up into the mountains, high desert country, or over into the desert. Uh, my family has property, and it's now mine, um, at the, I don't know if you ever heard of the Salton Sea in Imperial Valley. It's mm-hmm. in Southern California desert, and that's, uh, we've owned property up there since the 60s i guess and that and so i grew up duck hunting out there and on the way to the desert um you have to travel through the mountains and that's where you can start finding public land to uh the deer hunt
0: okay tell us about the terrain in california and we're gonna we're gonna come compare and contrast this in a little bit from your california hunting your style your strategies and bring it Full circle to where you are today in Iowa, but let's let's talk some more about California. What type of terrain you're talking about? Mountains. What what is the mountain range that we're discussing?
2: Well, at the peaks you get some pines, and as you work your way down, uh, you get into oaks and then more of a sagebrush country. Mm-hmm. And uh, the deer, for the most part, you're going to find more land and stuff in the sagebrush country and more deer. You want to, you know. All of Southern California basically is a desert. And so the trick is is to find water, for one thing. Okay. And it's hard to find um, really, you can't really sit over a food source there because they eat the sage and whatever else nibblets they can find and are spread out everywhere. So your, your style of hunting is basically walking, um, stopping, blasting, walking, stopping, blasting over and over again.
0: So similar to like what I would imagine in Wyoming, Colorado, hunting for, for mealy's up there, only smaller species and much drier as far as the terrain. More, yeah. more, you know, tumbleweeds, more, more sand, some trees, some water sources, not a lot, no food sources yeah. whatsoever. Nothing
2: that, that you no, can count on. No, nothing you can count on. No, um, now, and, and I'm talking about the San Diego area. If you can get, to different parts where um, in California that you know has a lot of agriculture. California has a huge amount of agriculture. So there is areas in California where you can um, find more of that style of hunting where you can maybe uh, find alfalfa fields or something like that or corn fields pumped up to um, the edge of a uh, mountainous terrain or sagebrush or brush country. But for the most part in the San Diego region where I was, it's um, pretty much just sage and desert, and like you said, sand and just a lot of rocks, ton of
0: rocks. A lot of rocks. A lot of rocks. A lot of rocks to walk around. Um, yeah. So what? What are your strategies? I mean, it sounds like you're, you 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 walk along. Uh, you use binoculars. I don't think binoculars might be your best friend in this scenario. Oh, and, absolutely. Okay. Now, take us through a little hunt there. Like what? What type of a Let's do a little play-by-play here. I'm trying to I'm trying to visualize this on what types of things you might encounter on a hunt.
2: Well, uh, the, what I would try to do is I would try to get up to the hunting area wherever that might be at about at least two hours before daylight, and with the goal of, would be to walk as fast as I could in the dark as far away from the road as I could. That way, I was trying to ensure my I try to ensure myself to get far away from hunters. As possible, and where I can get way back into backcountry, and hopefully start to. Um, when it got daylight, I can start blasting, and like I said, do the walk, um, stop, blast um, thing over and over again throughout the day.
0: Gotcha. And what happens when you, like, how far away are you when you're spotting these animals?
2: Well, uh, sometimes you know, like I said, it's a lot of sagebrush country and stuff, and so sometimes you know, deer to be yards away you don't know it or that's why i I do i'd walk slowly and stop and glass and look around because something could pop up close but for the most part you're you're glassing hillsides or you're getting up on a ridge top and you're looking um you know four or five six hundred yards away or further and trying to locate um any sort of movement any kind of deer at all now that's another thing that's quite a bit different about um, Southern California and where I am now in a good season, I I might see 10, 15 deer where I see that on the way to the store now. (laughs) So if you're out in the, if you're out a day and you see a couple deer, you're usually heading towards those deer and, uh, hoping to get a shot at them because those are probably going to be the only ones you see that day.
0: Okay. Dusty, you want to kind of break, and I want to do a double gear check here, kind of Go through what Charles might have been using while hunting in California. Uh, What's he got in his bag? What kind of tools are are in his bag of tricks?
1: Yeah, for sure. Charles, let's go to California and kind of break down. Uh, Did you carry a backpack out there?
2: Yes, backpack and always a couple of canteens, a water. Always had to make sure you had extra water with you.
1: All right. Let's say we was out in California and we we was at uh, the the deer hunting area and we decided to sit down and open up your backpack. Tell us what all you had in there.
2: Well, you'd have your lunch and whatever snacks that you could carry. Um, I always carried a big bottle of pepper, black pepper with me, so that if I were lucky enough to get a deer, once I um, gutted the deer, I'd pour pepper all in inside of the cavity to help keep the flies and insects off of you. No kidding. Um, uh, yeah. Yep. We'll, was, get, uh, we'll get
1: into that here in a little bit. Let's okay. get this backpack. <laughs>
2: um, I always carried uh, rubber gloves with me just for, um, cleaning the deer, uh, nice couple extra knives, um, binoculars, good pair of binoculars, best that you can afford. Try to have usually a better <laughs> pair of binoculars, um, than whatever firearm, um, you might be using. Gotcha. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, that's, oh, I, I carry, um, I always carry some rope with me where um, I could tie a deer up and make a backpack out of it to carry it out. Yeah, it was mostly for water and, you know, you had quite a bit of weight on you. You wanted lots of water.
1: Right, for sure. And that's that's a little bit higher temperatures than where you're at now. Exactly. What, uh, what kind of camouflage did you use to hunt California?
2: Back, back when I was doing a lot of hunting, um, I just mostly used like the military style camouflage yeah. when I was right. doing most of my deer hunting. Um, gotcha. My last deer that I shot in California was probably about 16 years ago. Okay. I got out of it for a little while. It just became really hard to get away from the crowd there, so I started concentrating on duck hunting for, for a while. I gotcha. Didn't really get back into deer hunting until we decided to move here gotcha. to Iowa.
1: So what what uh, what kind of firearm did you did you bow hunt or firearm hunt in California?
2: Um, I started out hunting with a two seventy when I was twelve. Um, my dad bought a two seventy from a friend of his, and that's what I hunted with for probably first four or five years of deer hunting. And then later on, I um, uh, picked up a two forty three and used that. I did bow hunt for a couple years, and I never did get a deer bow hunting. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with trying to use... I didn't know nothing about it, for one. There was no one for me to talk to about it, and I was trying to pull back too heavy of a bow, and it just seemed like every time I shoot at a deer, I'd miss. It'd go over. The deer would jump the arrow or duck under it or what have you, but it did make me a better hunter bow hunting. It's taught me to get a lot closer to the deer and when I did go back to rifle hunting after that, it seemed like it was a lot easier for me to take a deer with a rifle.
1: Gotcha, yeah, it makes sense. So in California, did you uh, pretty much all your hunting was spot and stalk or did you use tree stands or ground blinds?
2: Um, All spot and stalk. Um, Never, never even thought about using a tree stand or a ground blind. That that never crossed my mind. I, I did Every now and then we'd come across one, like someone would uh, uh, build a tree stand, you know, out of wood and pick it up in a tree. But never saw anyone in, in one, never heard of anyone doing any good out of them. No kidding. But yeah, it's just, those deer move around so much up there, it's hard to really sit somewhere, um, you know, and hope that they come to you.
1: Right, yeah, it makes sense. Good deal. Jay, you want to get in a, a little bit of a hunt? Yeah, before we go there, I want to transition from
0: California to Iowa. And, Charles, you had mentioned that one of the things that you stopped doing in California was hunting for a little while. And I think it has something relative to do with some some medical issues that you had that actually put you in a state where you could you weren't as mobile anymore on your feet. You couldn't get out into the woods and hunt. Uh, you couldn't get out into the mountains and your spot and stock techniques were basically n- no good to you anymore because of the, the pain that you were going through. You want to tell us about your experience?
2: Sure. I started, uh, developing plantar fasciitis in both feet and that started to limit how far, you know, the more I'd walk, the more later on it would hurt. And it just, it, it made, uh, walking those distances and, um, not as fun you know I wanted to do it I tried my best to keep at it but it it definitely took the pleasure out of uh being out there and were eliminating to uh, me to go where I knew I needed to go to find the animals
0: okay and did some of this change uh in your your physical condition have anything to do with your decision to move to Iowa
2: oh yes uh, about uh, Trying to remember how many years ago now. Um, I guess it was about four, I guess about five years ago. Um, I got, I started off getting my left foot operated on, and the surgery didn't come out as planned. A tendon got cut during the surgery and basically made my foot worse than what it was before that. Okay. And leaving me um, disabled permanently. Um, it, it really sucked. It was a downer on that. Gotcha.
0: <laughs> so, you moved from California, moved the family, and moved to a town in Iowa where the population is 400, which is, right. as you mentioned, as many people live in the whole town where you live as, as lived on the street where you lived in San Diego. Right. We're talking culture shock here, I would think. This is not the, the area you're used to living, the type of style of living you're used to. So, what, what, how did you transition?
2: Well, we had been out here um, several times. My uh, wife's mom was from here in Iowa, and so we had visited. I obviously, being a hunter, just fell in love with the country out here, although I did never think I'd move away from the ocean. I do love fishing out on the salt water, but that's another thing that I really couldn't do anymore with my foot situation. So um, having visited out here, you know, seeing the price of housing and everything like that. I just got to talking with the wife and we decided we could sell what we had in California and move here and uh, things would be a little easier on us on our economy wise. And so it was quite a shock for my wife and daughter really. you know, They were used to being able to go shopping or run to the movies or do whatever, run to the beach whenever they wanted to. And it probably hit them a little bit harder than it did me because Now, all of a sudden, I can drive five minutes from my house and walk a hundred yards, put up a pop-up line, and I'm hunting for the day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's the cool part about Iowa, right? Yeah. You can go
2: anywhere and be hunting
0: within a matter of seconds.
2: Yep. The weather situation is still kind of hard to get used to, going from 70 degrees year round to every bipolar temperature you can think of in this area, but... I'm getting used to it,
0: I guess. So let's talk about your hunting stuff. Like the, you know, we just went through your, your bag of tricks that you would carry in California, which you've been, you're not going back there. This is, you've got a new adopted way of life here. Right. What what has changed as far as your gear? What types of things have you let go? What types of things have you brought on?
2: Well, I don't have to carry the amount of water around with me. That's for sure. So that makes it nice. But I do, uh, now I have a, Backpack full of all kinds of gadgets: um, uh, deer calls, uh, rattling antlers, um, face paint, um, gloves, uh, heating uh, hand warmers, uh, foot warmers, um, extra socks, extra clothing, uh, extra gloves. Gloves, and I lose gloves like crazy. I have gloves spread all over the Southwest Iowa State. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha I don't know what it is I have like 20 pairs of gloves but only one glove of a piece stuff of each by the time the season's over
0: that's funny what about the land you you did a lot of public land hunting in California what type of land are you hunting here
2: mostly private okay. um, as soon as I moved here uh I got out and started um, just going and knocking on doors and meeting people and talking um, talking to I like to talk to uh, Younger people than me, they seem to be more apt to, um, you know, talk about hunting than people my age, I guess. They give up information more easily, I mm-hmm. think. They seem to be more want to talk about it, outgoing, you know, really into hunting still, where people getting up to close to 50, like I am, um, are more quiet wanting to keep to themselves, it seems like to me
0: gotcha so you do you look this is a strategy all in of itself trying to find out where the deer are which lands are huntable that it might be accessible so tell us about how that goes down what is it that you're you're keying in on you're looking for some younger hunters and and what kind of gives it away
2: a lot of times you're at the grocery store and you see some kids pull up and they all have their music blaring and stuff but if you notice uh they have uh, some bow hunting stickers or hunting stickers for that matter on the, on their bumper or something. Just talk to them, and they'll you'll be surprised how much uh, information they'll be willing to share. And usually, a lot of people shy away from noisy kids, but you'd be surprised how much uh, just uh, talking to a youngster will hmm. help you out. What
0: kind of information are you getting?
2: Where to go? Well, the main thing that I had to get right away was you know where to go. I had no idea where there was public hunting. I I had no idea that five minutes away from my house there was public land. And, um, you know, trying to find, first off, I wanted to find public land so that I had somewhere where I could go for sure. And then after that, um, I I started talking, like I said, talking to people. And they would say, well, you can go over here and maybe ask this farmer. And once I got a hang of that, I was able to go out and, didn't feel so uncomfortable like I did in California about going up to someone's farmhouse or house and knock on the door and introduce myself and, you know, eventually ask them if it'd be okay to hunt their property.
0: Gotcha. And let's go, let's talk through some of the, the door knocking. What did, how did people receive you being an out of towner um, when you started knocking on doors? What were some of those conversations like?
2: Um, actually, it all went pretty good. I, I, Usually what I would do is I'd uh, wear um, something with saltwater fishing or, you know, something to do with California. Uh, and that way I would kind of break the ice when I went up there and started talking and tell them, you know, I'm from California. And of course, they would kind of look at me cross-eyed thinking, oh, no, here's the California guy. But, you know, once I was able to start talking saltwater fishing or something that I was familiar with and, uh, you know, break the ice, people here are really... Really nice, and um didn't have too much of a problem uh getting uh getting on to uh, land
0: okay, so receptive overall, they're not yeah not saying get away, get get out of here, you guy from California,
2: we don't right. deal, we now, don't deal with
0: your types they were very receptive
2: yeah, they were very receptive now, there are some people out here that uh, kind of have a bad taste in their mouth about hunting overall. they've had people trespass and not take care of their place, and so understandably they don't want to give permission and I even um, talked to one guy one day that uh, I noticed he was clearing out what little bit of woods he had left and it was just so that, he told me it was so that people would stop hunting his land. He didn't like um, people trespassing. He had no problem with people hunting before but um, a group disrespected his property and so he was over it and he figured he might as well just tear down the woods and grow his Corn and beans in there instead of having people run around with guns or whatever. Mm,
0: gotcha. So since you've moved there, it was what three years ago or so now?
2: Yes, I believe it was three years ago. Yeah.
0: How many lay How many pieces of property have you been able to acquire hunting permission on?
2: <laughs> I probably have. Let's see. I have about. I have more than I can handle. That's for sure. I probably have permission to hunt on about three thousand acres of land. Wow.
1: Yeah. That's a lot of land. It's a lot Yeah. A lot. <laughs> especially,
2: especially when you walk around on a cane.
0: <laughs> right. Right. You, yeah, yeah. This is well this is kinda of just well, you know, shook me up a little bit here. That's amazing. So you've actually I mean how much time did you spend trying to get permission to hunt on properties that you had you didn't even know about?
2: It? Um well the first the first uh hunting season I was here, um that's all I did, mostly, was just go out and try to get permission. So I spent quite a bit of time. You know, the, the grocery store from my house is eight miles. On an average day, it drives my wife nuts, too. On an average day, it takes me about three hours to go to the store and back. Because I just, every dirt road. Right. <laughs> I I see something off in the ditches that looks like a deer, and I'm driving that direction. and. <laughs>
1: So, me, me and you could me and you could go for good rides. That's for sure. <laughs>
2: oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I definitely put a lot of miles on my suburban here. Oh, that's fantastic. All right,
0: so you got about three thousand acres, and ta- tell us about your setup here. I mean, what's the what's the topography like compared to the California setup? Uh, what's your what's your gear like compared to the California setup?
2: Well, I only bow hunt here, um, so there's and there's no, as far as I know. Um, in my area, for sure, there's no rifles that for deer hunting. I know people do use it for coyotes, but um, it's only shotguns and, and then archery, uh, black powder. And they do allow some crossbows, I think, for the elderly and for the disabled. And I think now you can use the crossbows for during one of the um, loader seasons. But for the most part, there's no rifle hunting. So I just go hunt. And... It's a lot flatter here than it is in California. No mountains. Right. A lot of of rolling hills, but to me it looks totally flat. No curves in the road, all left, you know, north, (laughs) southeast, or left. (laughs) That's a good
0: point. Yeah. Pretty much straight.
2: Which which helps on me from getting lost. Like I said, I I have a tendency to just drive crazy out here in any direction. If I see something that looks interesting, I'm headed that way.
0: Gotcha. Very interesting. So it's it's sounds like it's it's bow hunting. You, I think you said you're not getting getting up in trees mostly. It's not like tree stand hunting. You're you're pretty much a, a blind on the ground well, I, setup.
2: I do have tree stands set up. I just I can't safely sit in one for very long. Okay. Um, with my foot starts hurting when I don't have pressure on it, which is a lot of my problem. I don't sleep very well because obviously you can't put pressure on your foot when you don't. Um, when you're sleeping and um it's real touchy to cold cold hurts it like crazy um i have a heating pad uh in my bed under my desk um at my lazy boy that i keep wrapped around my foot so when i get out there i got to keep my foot warm um so i for the most part i'm in um ground blind but i do put up deer stands tree stands in different areas and i will uh, but I only have those if the conditions are perfect for, you know, if I think I the wind and everything's just right, and I only plan on being up there a couple hours. Just like I was saying about uh, the sleep deprived thing, um, I will fall asleep if I get comfortable. And okay. so a deer stand is not a good place to fall asleep at, you know, a deer This is true. Stand.
0: Yes, no falling asleep in tree <laughs> stands. The ground is safe but gravity is a bitch yeah. when it comes down to it. Just yeah, exactly. Gravity sucks. <laughs> all right. So The
2: ground blind nice. I can move around and stuff. My foot gets hurting or whatever. I can move around. I usually have a chair and I'll take a blanket and keep it in there. If I need to, I'll lay down. Um, I like to get out into a ground blind in the dark and will try to stay all day if at all possible. Um, I think that I see a lot of, of the bigger bucks move around. Um, in that 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. area, Yep. For whatever reason, I've had really good luck um, when I that's when I see for some reason that's when I have seen my biggest ups out here. Gotcha. And it doesn't work out very well, and I don't see them if if I'm um, if I try to you know come and go during the day um, when I'm to try to get to that time frame. Gotcha.
0: So what, how did you decide to set up where you were setting up? I mean, you sounds like, you know, you just dropped in Iowa and totally different landscape. How did you go about trying to decide and educate yourself on what to do?
2: Well, I hadn't paid that much attention to Facebook before I moved here, but I did start um, going on there quite a bit. And don't mean to kiss your guys' ass, but <laughs> I found the Big Buck Registry, and I found out, I'm telling you, I found out a lot by listening to you guys. And once I did start listening to you guys, I started going back through your uh, your archives there and just trying to absorb as much information as I could from all the different stories, all the different people you have on, um, trying to learn everything I could. And then, you know, I, I talked to my wife's cousin, uh, Eric, Eric He He's really helped me. He's in the military, though, and so... It's a lot of phone conversations with him. Uh, him helping, you know, trying to give me pointers on where to go. But other than that, it's been the Big Buck Registry, and then uh, <laughs> you know I do listen to other podcasts, but I like I, I I go back to what what I know and what I enjoy. Gotcha. It's good when it's good when you can enjoy when you can listen to something, enjoy it, and learn at the same time without feeling like someone's trying to teach you something.
0: Right. Right, which is the whole idea. Just just right. try to get it, out, get the get the information out of somebody, but not feel like it's a classroom setting. You want to just exactly get the story, find, and then yeah, apply I, it to your own hunt. You know, that's that's the whole idea. So you, yeah. you you've got a so you're you're set up in Iowa. You're seeing bigger deer. You have to be compared to where you were, and
2: oh my god, you have. A, you,
1: no idea. <laughs>
2: See,
0: what the 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 Muley subspecies in California on public land where probably if there's a deer that is seen is probably shot at somehow. Whereas
2: Oh absolutely. Yes. Yeah, it is shot at. Right. Uh, there's no if, and, or doubt about that. The biggest deer I got ever took in California was probably um, oh, maybe hundred and forty 50 pounds, soaking wet, Mm -hmm. and he was a um, nice two-by-three buck. That was my biggest one out there. Okay. The very first day um, hunting here in Iowa, I was in the the ground blind. My cousin that I told you about, he texted me probably about 25 minutes after daylight and asked how I was doing, and so I was texting him back, and I looked up, and 10 yards, Away from me is the biggest buck I had ever seen in my life, that close.
0: Wow! You
2: know, in person while I'm hunting, and it was a four x four, and so I couldn't move because I wasn't sure if he could totally see in the blind or not. Even though I had the um, no screen, no see screens up, or whatever you want to call them, window screens up, and so I text my cousin back, and I'm like, "There's a deer, there's a four x four right outside," and he's all, "Well, sh- take him," and I'm like, "Well, I can't move," and then. The deer moved off, and I'm telling my cousin, yeah, it's big, and, you know, I couldn't get a shot, and all of a sudden I look up, and the deer is back again. And same thing, I can't move other than to text my cousin, and he tells me, he texts his back right away, and he's all, don't shoot, don't shoot it. And I'm like, well, it's huge. He's (laughs) all, no, it's it's a young buck. He's coming back to check you out. And so I watched this buck, and now that I have to learn more he was probably a year and a half maybe two year old buck and he would come up and sniff the blind and kind of bob his head around and trying to (laughs) get me to move and play and stuff and i was just feeling nuts thinking wow this is incredible (laughs) you know here i am passing up the biggest buck that i ever had a chance at and uh because it's it's just a young buck (laughs) right right and that's one of the things to you guys I started learning more and more about you know okay young deer versus older more mature deer you know don't shoot the young ones they're going to carry on the bloodlines you know we want the population to be healthy and so it's, it's that's been a whole new um, whole new thing I don't even know how to explain it <laughs>
0: yeah something completely foreign to you that you've never experienced in California so there's
2: something yeah like- i never Yeah, i, I I was in California and there was a deer half that size. I would have been flinging arrows and probably missing it. <laughs> right.
0: Well, it's interesting that you're able to put it all together so fast. I mean, it seems like maybe three years is a very short amount of time to get the learning curve in place. Um, and, and But you're having success. Not only are you having success, but you're passing on big bucks, which is just completely different than the, the, the run and gun attitude of San Diego. So let's go on a deer hunt, Charles. I want to hear the story behind the buck that you sent into the big buck registry. And I want to find out what happened with that whole undoing. And it's a great buck. It's probably the biggest buck you've shot so far year to date. And if I have to guess, and the, I want to hear about the setup about 48 hours before and I want to slow it down. I want to get the little details and what you've done today or what you've done is you've act, you're at the location where you shot this deer which is not far from your home but you you've actually got a visual on what you saw then and now you can give us a play-by-play looking at the exact spot where you shot the buck right this is awesome this is a first <laughs> first on the big buck registry
2: <laughs> okay so there's this little piece of public hunting land it's probably oh I would have to say 60 acres uh the acre piece of property, and it's all uh, wood, and they do plant a sunflower plot on here, the DNR does. So the DNR does good in trying to um, make it game accessible, and of course there's corn and beans and stuff being grown all around it. But probably, like you said, about 48 hours beforehand, I I had noticed uh, deer had started crossing in one certain area, doe's. Is what I was spotting, and they were crossing every evening uh, about an hour or so right before um, sunset, before dark actually. So that's what uh, um, you know made me start thinking. Well, maybe there'll be a bus that will start following them, yeah. and I scoped out the situation and thought, and came up here and walked around, found their trails and stuff, and found a good spot where I could set up. Uh, ambush, and I didn't set up a blind or anything. I just found brush. I didn't want to. I wanted to hunt it right away, I, and I didn't want to change anything, make anything foreign to the deer. Okay, yeah. And so I figured if I got the right wind and everything, I, I would come up and um, get in the brush and give it a shot. So that afternoon, I had taken a nap, and I woke up probably about an hour and a half before before dark. And so I get up, I go outside, I look, it's all cloudy, it's starting to mist a little bit. The wind seems like it could be going the right direction. I go get in, go get in the shower to try to become scent-free Yep. and uh, yell over to the wife and just kind of, in my haste, kind of just yelled weather to her. <laughs> and so she... Luckily, she knows me good enough. She don't get upset or anything. She just looked up the weather and was reading off which way the wind direction and how hard and what the forecast was and all that while I'm showering and and uh, everything seemed good. So I um, I get up here probably about thirty five minutes, forty minutes later. So I only have now about forty forty five minutes of daylight left. And I get down to that spot where I had soaked out and sit there, and I wasn't too sure, really, if I should stay there and risk shooting at a deer or not. I started hearing some coyotes in the distance, and it started getting wet, and so I was starting to get worried that, well, if I shot one, would I be able to find it or if the coyotes would get to it, but the rain started to go away, and I stuck it out. I gave a couple calls on the grunt call, and I still don't think I have any idea what I'm doing with a grunt call. I'm not even sure it worked on the deer, but um, with about five or 10 minutes left of shooting light, I saw antlers probably about 100 yards away headed straight towards me. And I did have a mist coming down pretty good in my eyes, and I couldn't make them out for sure. Really get a good age at, on him, but he, he looked way bigger. He shrank a little bit after I did eventually get him, but... Um, he came up and came over this little rise right at me and stopped and was kind of just standing there staring at me, noticing something was different. And I was I was just sitting there shaking, of course, and all excited, all pumped up. And he, I got lucky where he turned his head. I pulled up on him. I shoot and watch my arrow zing over his back. Okay. And I was like, oh, no. He, he hit some brush right behind him. He jumped up, spun around. Looking and I thought it was it. I thought, okay, he's gone. Somehow I managed to get another arrow knocked, and he had taken probably about ten steps back towards the direction he was uh, he had come from. Hmm. And I let another one go and heard that thwack. And I'll never forget that sound. That's the greatest sound ever.
0: It truly that, is. There's it's a it very is. unique sound. And
2: and that was my first one, first thwack with a bow on a deer. And it sounded awesome. And so he takes off. And I felt like I kind of hit him a little far back. But I figured I'd give him, you know, an hour or so and before I start, you know, trying to follow. And I actually drove down to my house, called uh, my buddy Tanner, and uh, waited for him to get here. One of the young guys I was telling you about that I had talked to. And so we set off <clears throat> in the dark, um, in the rain trailing him and tracking and we found some decent blood but it wasn't as good as blood as i was hoping for and we kept coming up to different spots where you could see the deer laid down and if i knew then what i knew now i would know that i was we were probably pushing him we were probably bumping him along making him get up right. and move um i probably should have waited overnight but we did get to a spot where we looked off in the distance and Tanner tells me he goes look, there he is. We could see my arrow knock, lit yeah. up. And so we're high-fiving each other and stuff and because it it looks like the deer's down and everything. And so we start wa- trudging. We had to go through a lot of brush to get to where we saw it. And all of a sudden, we see the light go up in the air and take off across in the middle <laughs> of <in> the <laughs> night. Oh, man. <laughs> Talk about a sinking feeling. Oh, man. I, it was... It it was heartbreaking. (laughs) I thought for sure he was gone.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you thought it was over.
2: Yeah, I thought that was it. But I wasn't going to give up. So the next morning, uh, Tanner and his brother came, Spencer, came back, and we got together probably about 8 o'clock in the morning and went back to where we had uh, found the deer, you know, the deer had taken off from. And it was an even worse feeling because we couldn't find no blood from that point. And we just had a general idea of the direction that he had gone, and it it, it was just I, I was sick. I thought you know I had blew it, you know I I know I had red to let the deer sit longer and stuff like that. When you think you hit them back, and I just thought I did everything wrong, and I did right. do everything wrong. But Spencer Tanner's brother uh, Spencer, he found the little tiniest dot on top of a fence post, and started trailing it towards my house
0: this is a drop of blood
2: drop of blood yeah gotcha and he started tracking this little drop of blood here and there just 10 drops and the deer was actually running towards my house and they gave me a call on the phone and they had found it um alongside the riverbed and uh, it it actually went from being five minutes away from my house to about a minute and a half <laughs>
0: no away way.
2: from my back door. Yeah. <laughs> no way. And, oh yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> no kidding. And what, what did the
0: yep. What did the buck weigh out at? If you weigh him, I don't know if you weighing him in Iowa.
2: I didn't weigh him out, but he was probably uh, oh, he had to be one hundred and eighty pounds. Okay. Um, after being gutted, I'm guessing. Okay, so probably. I luckily, I had the two kids. I couldn't move him by myself.
0: Wow. And wh- what was the rack like?
2: It was a, I guess you call it nine-point. Um, I haven't had it measured. Um, I really don't know if it would, uh, I don't want to say my guess would be 130 or something-ish would be my point. I still don't know how to, um, haven't quite figured out how to estimate, um, you know, scoring system on the deer, but it's a, it's a decent rack.
0: Nice. Very, very cool.
2: Bigger well- than, you know. Bigger
0: than anything I had ever. Seen anything you've out in ever a seen while. in California on the hoof, no question.
2: Oh yeah, no question. That's crazy.
0: Well, congratulations on your first Iowa big buck. That's awesome. Thank you. All right, Charles, I've got ten rapid fire questions for you. Okay. All right, are you ready? I didn't prep you on these, so you just have to do them off the cuff because I think it comes out better. So.
2: Okay. All right,
0: here we go. What's your number one hunting tip of all time? Knowing what you know now between California and Iowa, what's the number one hunting tip that you would apply? Go where the deer are. That's it's an obvious one, right? Go where the deer are.
2: Yeah. Cannot, I mean, so many times, call. yeah, I think people a lot of times get stuck on thinking they see a good area or something or think that, oh, this looks good, but... If there's not deer there, you ain't going to kill nothing. You need to go to where the
0: deer are. <laughs> right. Oh, that's fantastic. I've There have been some some very high-class, world-class deer hunters that always say, well, you can't kill a deer if it's not here. Right. Same kind of thing. All right, so we all have these, one, th- these things that we bring in the woods with us. They're good luck charms. Um, they somehow make us feel better that we're, we're going to be more successful. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't but if we leave it in the truck, we feel naked without it. What's that one thing for you?
2: It's my P38, and I don't know if you know what that is, but that's the can opener that I keep on my keychain.
0: Gotcha. And what's so significant about that?
2: One time when I was uh, deer hunting in California, I took a doe about four miles back, four or five, uh, I guess it was about five miles back, and I did not have a knife with me. I had forgot my knife, and so I was able to use that can opener to gutter, <laughs> and so I never never go deer hunting without it now.
0: Gotcha. Very nice. What's your biggest pet peeve?
2: Hunter on hunter crime, like Facebook or anything like that, hunters attacking hunters. People, um, they think that people shouldn't hunt with hounds, or people shouldn't hunt with hoes or people shouldn't hunt with guns and stuff. Yep. yep. Hunters need to start quit. They need to stop hunter-on-hunter crime and start sticking together.
0: I agree with that wholeheartedly. How old are you today, Charles? 46. 46. Knowing what you know today, what would you tell the 20-year-old Charles?
2: Oh, wow. A lot. <laughs> um, I think going back to my foot thing, um, I would have, you know, everyone gets uh, gets life insurance, and or they don't, and they know they should get life insurance, but I don't think people realize that you have a lot higher chance of becoming disabled than you do of dying, and I would have told myself to get disability insurance. Right, gotcha. It would have really helped out in some times.
0: Hmm. Interesting. I, mean, I don't think we've ever had that answer, but, you know, that's, that's a good one. You know, I, yeah, I agree with you there. All right, so you're at a, a hunting convention. A stranger walks into the room in the hotel lobby, and they, they strike up a conversation. They ask what you do for a living. What do you say?
2: Um, I guess I'd say I used to work construction but now I'm disabled.
0: Okay. What did you have for breakfast this morning?
2: I actually had leftovers from last night, and so that was um, a venison burger. Nice. I'm, yeah. I'm done with that. A venison that's burger my for break-
0: breakfast. That's my kind of breakfast, too. Yes, sir. Venison sausage and a couple of couple of farm eggs. Awesome. Just awesome.
2: I, I actually kind of knew this question was coming, and so I was going to break out. I do have some um venison bacon yep and i was going to have that just so that i could say i had that but i didn't and i just went ahead and had what i had for dinner last night
0: <laughs> it's all good it's all good as long as it's venison it's all good all right you get yep. your you get your own billboard it's a blank canvas you can put anything you want to put on it what is, what does it say
2: oh wow that's a good I, I and and uh, i wish i i'd probably have to get someone to write it better than i could word it um Something about outdoorsmen sticking together. I think it's important that outdoorsmen need to start sticking together. Obviously, that touched me here lately about outdoorsmen. I think it started with the whole Cecil thing. I was really disappointed how no one, everyone was jumping on that poor guy for doing wrong. And I think maybe that's what kind of started that kind of thinking and really got in my head.
0: Yep, gotcha. All right, if I say the word successful, who's the first person that pops in your head and why?
2: Well... Your guest last week already took Britney Spears.
0: Right. I was going to say,
2: it's prob- <laughs> you're probably
0: thinking Britney Spears right now.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know who I like um, is uh, Anthony Bourdain. Are you familiar Very with him? Very much so,
0: yeah. Yep. Yeah. The chef.
2: I, I You know, I, I would love to live that guy's life, um, travel, eating stuff he tries to hunt a little bit when he can and uh i think that's who i'd have to say gotcha
0: what's a day in the life of charles byram look like
2: right now um i just got a new puppy a lab puppy and um so i'm starting to train her well right now she's learning the word no mostly All right and so get her get up in the morning and take her out and uh go for a drive looking for trickies right now um Trying to find a good, close, easy-access spot, especially at this time of year, it's kind of hard on me. We'll get a lot of rain, so I need to find somewhere that I can access. And um, after doing that drive, I'll um, come home, have uh, lunch with the wife. Hopefully, if I'm lucky, take a nap. And then every evening, uh, I'm out here doing the uh, deer drive, basically. Uh, Sometimes the family goes with me, other times they don't, but almost every evening I'm driving somewhere, I'm always looking for new new property or, or double-checking my old properties, seeing if I spot something um, that looks good where I need to pull cameras and and move them around and concentrate on a different area.
0: Right on. And what's a deer hunting day in the life look like?
2: Uh that's a lot of that has to do with the weather, but for the most part, I like to have a uh, pop-up line. Um, I'll actually have a couple put out and um, get up early in the morning if I can. If I'm not in too much pain, um, I'll drive there and get out into the blind before sun up. If I am in pain, I'll, and I hate doing it, but I'll wake the wife up and um, get her to take me and drop me off and... I'll try to spend all day out there, at all possible.
0: Very nice, very cool. Hey, Charles, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. It's it's always good to interview somebody that was has been a listener of the show, and I think it's fascinating to uh, hear your your story transitioning from California out to Iowa, and ultimately shooting the biggest buck you've ever seen, um, and doing it in a very fairly short amount of time with some very good education and taking what you knew from California, but then adding to it things like deer hunting podcasts and, and, you know, other things you can learn from your friends. I think that's fantastic. So keep up the the great work and I love your story.
2: Hey, I love you guys. The show. Thank you very much for all you guys do. You guys do a great job. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that sometime you guys are going to put up some sort of big buck registry, uh, deer hunt somewhere or something. And can get a bunch of followers out to some deer camp somewhere. And, get together and have beers
0: or something. Yeah. Hang out with some of our, our listeners and hunt some deer all at the same time. I, I, it's, it's definitely in the back of my head that someday that will happen. No doubt at all. No doubt about it. As we slowly grow this, this whole thing, it's we're, we're heading that way for sure. And
1: that'll be, that'll be a fun day. That will be a fun day. Yeah. We, uh, we definitely thought about, and we thought about also doing a, uh, a breakfast or luncheon somewhere in the Midwest here. And, uh, just invite all the followers out to join us for a set down breakfast or lunch and uh you know, and meet or, meet us personally and, and talk deer hunting for several hours during that day and just uh have kinda of like a meet and greet.
2: That'd be great. Just, that'd be awesome if you guys pulled that off. I'd love to give me a reason to go somewhere and meet people it's always a good thing.
1: Yeah, just uh, just a thought, you know. Yep. Silent auction and stuff like that, uh to benefit uh Help us with the Big Buck Race or Deer Hunting Podcast. Yeah, that would be
2: cool. Yeah, I know. Every year they have like the Iowa Deer Hunter Classic and stuff out here, so
1: we put right, that in yeah, the sure.
2: back of your guys' mind. <laughs> well,
0: well, we're hoping that as things grow and develop, we get more sponsors and money coming in that we'll be able to travel around the country and visit all these great places as as a, a duo and and meet all of our our fans and people that tune in. You know that that that's that would be a dream come true. So well, we're getting there.
2: Yeah, you guys are. You guys are gone and. Yeah like I say you guys do the best job out there as far as I'm concerned. So
1: I think you guys just a great Hey we really appreciate life. that, Charles.
0: Yeah, thank you Charles. I sincerely that appreciate means a lot it. To it. It really does. We've been it's nice to hear somebody that appreciates the <laughs> the hours
1: we put into this. <laughs> it
2: really is. Yeah. It's uh, you guys do a lot more than I could do that's for sure. <laughs> hey
1: uh, just I, I'm just curious uh Tell tell us just a few things. You know, we kind of do this off air, just to kind of us talking here. What's uh, what's some of your favorite things that you that you've picked up on the show that uh, you really utilize out in the field?
2: Well, I I think like I said, a lot of it has to do um, with uh, deer management and also you know trying to trying to figure out like a mature deer versus or even a doe, a mature doe. You know, I don't want to shoot a young doe. Um, uh, I want to take out those nags that aren't breeding and that are just out there, um, you know, blowing my cover or taking food out of the mouth of other deer. Um, that's one of the main things, um, learning about food plots. Um, you know, there's so much food here in Iowa. A lot of people don't do food plots, but I'm kind of experimenting with, um, you know, putting some, you know, turnips in or... Trying to put small little plots in areas that I can, um, just to give, see if, you know, some sort of variety works and, and draw in some ambush points. Um, trying to learn about calling and rattling. Um, you guys have helped me on that. I didn't have a clue on that. I didn't, um, when I first started listening, you guys, I didn't know what to do with deer urine. Um, okay, I didn't I know what a that. licking, I didn't know what a licking branch was. Right. Um. I never seen here there's no trees in California for like, <laughs> but uh where I was anyways um so all it's just been a whole encyclopedia of stuff. It's hard to pick out no. a couple of certain things like yeah you know,
1: not, I was, not asking you to, but i just I just wanted to hear from a listener exactly some details that uh you picked up on it, man. It really sounds like that. Uh, listen to the show. It really educated on you, the whole spectrum of whitetail hunting.
2: Yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, and I, I mean, there, a lot of times I'll go back and I'll listen to, um, something and one of the podcasts and, you know, something I can't think of right offhand, right. this second, but I'll hear something that you guys or someone has done. And I'll think, Hey, that applies to me. I'm going to go try that. I think a lot of people don't, um, I think a lot of people hear stuff, but they don't, ever put it to use right. and so I tried to if I pick up on something I tried to use it see if it works if it doesn't work for me then it, don't, it doesn't work but at least I gave it a try
0: I fell right into the story that Charles was telling it became very interesting the, the thing about the pepper on the deer that he had the, you know, how he, he sprinkled pepper on the, the cavity of the deer in California to keep the bugs away. Something you don't have to do or wouldn't think to do out in this part of the country.
1: Right. Uh, I, I, I can see where it worked, though, you know. Yeah. I mean, it so- preserved his meat, kept the critters out, and uh, man, that's a, that's a great idea if you're somewhere that's got flies and everything. Right. Out, a heavy abundance of uh, insects or whatever. Because right. when it gets below 50 degrees,
0: those things aren't buzzing around. Right. And we don't have that during deer, deer season around us. Right, so we don't have to worry about bugs.
1: Typically, well, I'm, typical. I'm glad uh, deer season ain't when the uh, black flies are out in May in New Hampshire. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, that would be bad. That'd be really bad. <laughs>
0: yeah, we have the black. And it, that's the thing about turkey hunting in New Hampshire's: the first two weeks is black fly season, and then it's just the last two weeks you get bombarded with mosquitoes. So as one leaves, the other one comes in, and then it dies off. But it's always right in the smack during May, which is exactly when the the turkey season runs in new hampshire so drives me nuts every year but that's why we've developed some great bug sprays like the sawyers sawyers permethrin that we got over at morse's sporting goods that stuff was killer and the day before i applied it to your suits when you were here you walked right through the field you had what 15 to 20 ticks on you
1: oh my gosh at least 20 plus right and then i sprayed your
0: suits down how many did you have after that
1: zero zero
0: exactly that that product is available over at Morris's Sporting Guns. It's called Sawyer's Permethrin. Top-notch stuff.
1: Proven. Yeah, proven. Uh, it is proven. It's proven to work. Yes, and
0: I've been wearing it the entire season and haven't had a tick on me yet, which is uncanny considering the prevalence of ticks in New Hampshire at this very moment. Nuts.
1: There's more ticks than there's ever deer there. <laughs> you got that right. In fact, <laughs> the
0: coyote that I shot on my birthday, by the way, As the, when obviously it died, I kept the coyote to show the kids and before I was going to dispose of it, all the ticks had released from the the dog and there, there were at least 250 dog ticks just dangling from the furs of the, of the dog by the time I went to go take care of it. Really? Yes. Wow. It was disgusting. So what did I do? Took some of the Sawyer's permethrin, sprayed the dog. Within 10 minutes, every tick was dead. No kidding! Swear to God, that's amazing stuff. Yeah, I, was, I thought it was an interesting test, and son of a gun, they all stopped moving. They were like not just you know paralyzed; they were dead, dead. Ten minutes, no kidding. gone. So, it, not only does it kill ticks, but it, it it repels ticks. That's a great story. It's a great story. Huh, that's hard to believe. So, little science experiment in the yeah, caves of the sure. Big Buck Registry, Dusty. Do we have a chubby tie tip of the week this week? Yeah, we do, Jay, uh, you know. The Chubby Tines Tip of the Week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentucky Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morse'ssportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morse's Sporting Goods.
1: Food plots should be starting to grow now, and, and, and the weeds are going to be an issue to start out with, and, uh, if you're going in to spray your weeds, and and you're somebody that's not experienced with chemicals or mix ratios, I, I you know, just a suggestion that you either contact the the right uh, co-op store in your area or a local farmer and and uh, check out uh, what you need to do to make the the chemical to water ratio just perfect, so that uh, you're not putting abundance of excess of chemical on these weeds, and, and you know, for one. It's uh, not good on your crop, and, and for also, it's not good on the critters that's going to eat your crop. So, you know, the the most of the bottles that are sold uh, over-the-counter chemicals have some directions on them, but uh, some may not take the time to read directions. But uh, if you get any questions about it, get with your co-op or your landmark in your area or, you know, whoever does your local spray and that uh, is for hire. Get with them and talk to them a little bit about uh, applying application of spray and chemical and... And just get educated on it before you go do it.
0: Great tip, man. Those co-ops are priceless for what they do. Great idea.
1: No doubt about it, Jay. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I, I tell you what, man. It's been a, another fantastic show. Thanks to Charles Byram for joining us and being a diehard loyal f- fan of the Big Buck Red Shoe Deer Hunting Podcast. Can't thank him enough for doing that. And and I love it when Charles reviews our shows because we don't get a ton of reviews, but he will. he will actually take the time to write out what he liked and didn't like about the particular show. And he's always sending me some ideas about different tips and, and uh, things that he'd like to see on the show. So if you have any tips or, or suggestions for the show, please, please, please send us uh, an email and you can send it to suggestion at bigbuckregistry.com. So Dusty, when when you're not here talking deer hunting, where can we find you?
1: Shoot me an email, dusty at bigbuckregistry.com. You can look me up on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Outdoors, and uh, I'm also on Instagram, at Chasing Antler. Just look me up, shoot me a follow, and uh, we'll hang out. Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic?
0: All right, well, you can always shoot me an email. That's probably the number one best way to reach me. It's Jay at BigBuckRegistry.com. And we'd also like to invite you to join us in our quest to to find fantastic deer hunting stories and you can start by going to our facebook page it's facebook.com forward slash big buck registry and when you get there you'll see lots and lots of pictures of big bucks and if you'd like to have your big buck featured all you have to do is go to big buck forward slash my buck and all the instructions are right there if you'd like to join us on twitter same thing big buck registry instagram big buck registry we're on patreon Go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash donate. You can check out all the all the options right there and all the, the benefits and all the the things that you'll get if you donate between $1 and $25 per month to this show. Thanks again to Morse's Sporting Goods. Well, it's been a great show, Dusty, and uh, I think that's a wrap. Well, I'm Dusty Phillips. And I'm Jay Scott, and this is the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Can't wait.